this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's going on, Jake? What's happening, Mark? Another week. Tired this week. Got to muster some energy for this one. It's been it's been a long week, but uh, yeah, when we get started though, the the juices the juices will flow. Yeah. But uh, you had some some deep thoughts you wanted to get into, huh? Well, no, I mean, I was thinking about some of the things that I might bug you on text or phone and and pick your brain about, but sometimes those subjects or those topics are not long enough to necessarily warrant a whole reef therapy session. Mm. And I could totally be wrong about that because I know you and I could probably talk an hour about protein skimmers alone. Um, yeah. But um, I thought, well, what? why if we just do like an amalgamation of some of these thoughts that have been... Restyle. Yeah. Freestyle session of reef therapy. Yeah. And no, I know I'm you've here. got some too probably or... Uh, I'm here for it, but it sounds like you got some things to get off your chest. So why don't you uh, take us off? All right. Well, first off, I guess quick tank update. Um, I had a close call on my UV yesterday. Uh, I typically don't run a sterilizer, but uh, I'm I've been in fish acquisition mode with this new tank for the last year, and it's just nice to have that insurance policy while you're adding new fish. And um, I don't think I have ick in my tank because I, I, I'm pretty um, diligent about quarantine or buying quarantine fish, but you know, you never know. Um, anyway, uh, I did some tank maintenance. You know, I did the whole, uh, uh, we talked in the last episode about how my refugium was a refuge for bubble algae because <laughs> I had some leftover live rock down there. So I cleaned that out, right? And um, what does that say? Gallery Aquatica. Oh, I like their YouTube channel and uh yeah, the shout out guys. to Cam and Anya. Yeah. Um, speaking of, they did a episode on a, installing a UV just today that I saw. Um, anyway, back to the topic. Uh, so I, I I like running it when I'm trying to add new fish as an insurance policy, and uh, so it's been on for about the last year, um, less than a year. But when I, you know, in my Apex, I've got the uh, maintenance button, right? So it's like a soft outlet or virtual outlet, and I activate that. And when that's activated, it turns all the crap off for me, which is kind of nice, right? So I've got a button inside my stand. I press it. Everything powers down. I can go do a water change. I can work on my sump. And then I, you know, press the button and it all turns back on. But uh, my CJ pump that feeds the UV, the impeller must have got binded up or something, and so the UV turn light was on, but there was no water flowing through it. And uh, I didn't notice that for days. And then it was yesterday, last night, I was moving some stuff around in my stand and I brushed against it and it was hot. I mean, it was burning hot, that plastic. Oh, no. Um, so I was like, oh, crap. So that got me kind of thinking about maybe plumbing it into my return pump because you, you know not not fully in line because I want to be able to um, like a manifold because I want to be able to control the flow through it. But you know when your return pump isn't running, right? Um, 
But uh, yeah, so I turned the pump on and I kind of held my breath because maybe something cracked or something on the inside, right? And all of a sudden water starts flowing through it again, but uh, knock on wood, everything was okay. Um, but yeah, that was my little scare. So uh, um, got the got it all back together and tank looks good. So anyway, uh, that was right my on. small update. Uh, any any updates from your end? Hmm. I got to pull up my list real quick. Um, I know you want to get into some automatic filter rolls, so maybe this yeah. is a good way to kick it off. Sure. I love my Red Sea Reef mat. <laughs> I, and here's the crazy thing. It's not even working yet. You have to like initialize it with the app and everything to get it to start turning on its own. I'm sure there's a reason for that. It'd be nice if it worked out of the box without the app, you know, like uh, your CHA return pumps and other return pumps. They work just fine before you connect them to yeah. whatever. But even manually um, advancing the roll uh, once or twice a day, I've used a ton of automatic filter rolls by now and I've broken a few and I've rebuilt a couple. And there's this thing that happens when the dirty spool starts to become full like most of your role is no longer on the new role it's on the empty role so yeah. that increases the diameter of the role and increases the torque required and some of the earlier models man those things like barely worked they just when they were f really full you could just hear it in the, the way the motor was operating that it was kind of struggling to really advanced more filter material and there's something about the reef mat that just has that confidence. <laughs> it's got that confidence. <clears throat> when you press the button, it's just like, this roll is coming through. And, you know, there's a full review coming. Obviously, I'm not using as intended yet because um, I'm manually advancing it. But there's something about it being really large and really robust and, like, really up to the task. It's weird to say that about an aquarium device because, you know, skimmers like alchemy and then lighting is subjective. And uh, just that reef mat is, is not in that category. It is confidently pulling that roll through. And because it uses a 200 micron mesh, it, you know, catches most of the, the, the large stuff, you know, fish poop and bits of algae or whatever. And as it clogs, it becomes a finer porosity filter. And... Uh, Man, I, I think that's going to be the automatic filter roll to beat. <clears throat> and at $399, it is priced the same as the Clarisy. But when you see the features and the size and the ability, before you even consider any kind of uh, wirelessly controllable and smart features, man, that, that is a great automatic filter roll. Yeah, I, I only recently have experience with one. Um so I don't have a, no way to compare, but uh, the things I do like from reading about the the unit is I like the little features too of like having a carbon immediate filter on the bottom. And it's just like little touches like that. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. They didn't have to add a, a media basket on the bottom, which is your cleanest water, right? So any media you put in there, whether it's biological or chemical it's going to stay so clean. You know, the pores of your activated carbon aren't going to be clogged by funk and you're yeah. going to get more life out of it. And then if you think about it, like it's also like a reasonable size. It's not like, 
a few liters of media in a media yeah. reactor, which is considered small for like a hundred, two hundred gallon tank. Man, I'm, I measure chemical media in in handfuls, and there's probably like you could probably put four or five handfuls of GFO or aluminum oxide or carbon in the bottom of that. So it's one of those things they didn't have to include that and it would still be an awesome device and just the fact that it's there it's like boom got your media reactor your biological uh all in one that was a, a very clever addition yeah and it's got um it looks very robust if you don't want to hang it off the side like it's got the feet to have a mm -hmm. basically standalone standing on its own type setup so some of the other models you know they're built out of acrylic and it's easy to get started with acrylic, right? You just get it, you know, some sheets laser cut and you assemble as needed, but it's not really as robust. So this thing is, um, you know, kind of a heavy duty plastic injection molded, which is really stout legs. And I have one and I'm already like dreaming about adding two or three more <laughs> around the studio <laughs> on tanks that don't have them yet. Um, especially like the water box. Um, but so you had some notes about automatic filter roll and some of the, Kind of yeah. side benefits that we haven't really thought about or considered yet? Well, so, yeah, one is part of a larger subject, but uh, we can talk about, um, I mean, so my deep thoughts are deep thoughts. My, I've been thinking a lot about it because I've always been, um, not always, I've, I've tinkered a lot. I've run true algae turf scrubbers from inland aquatics back in the day i've done jobert I've, i love all the different methods and in the end i settled on hey what works for me is run a bunch of calerpa or cato in your sump and run a skimmer and that's it right and that's just for some reason always worked for me even to the point that tanks where i had problems um once i threw in a uh, refugium or a macroalgae scrubber, things turned the corner for the better. So I became a, a pretty big believer in them. And I, I I don't necessarily know if it's related to taking up phosphates and nitrates. Maybe there's some uh, chemical warfare from algae to algae. I don't know. But it's just I definitely noticed that when you start intentionally growing algae in one place, the, the tank starts to vibe a lot better for me. But so I've been really resistant to change and I don't like filter socks. I don't, I never liked mechanical filtration. And then I was curious about this filter roll thing. And I have the Gen 3 Clarity on this new tank. And I have to admit, I'm kind of in love with it, you know, as a method. Um, and I haven't seen the usual, I mean, the tank's still new, but I didn't go through an ugly stage. Um, and then part of that had a lot, a lot to do with me, instant coral, you know, insta-tank approach. But uh, things have gone knock on wood relatively smoothly. And it got me thinking, you know, even with how I do things, and I don't do bare bottom, I don't keep it very sterile, Um is that little extra bit of export of of um, particulate matter, you know, circumventing the need for me to have um, another form of nutrient export, right? Um, so, you know, it's it. I think I told you on the phone. It got me even thinking. Like, do I pull my Cato off my big tank? You know, do I put a filter roller there? Um, so yeah, I I it's. It's not a very heavy-handed question, but it, you know, it 
the direct replacement was to get rid of filter socks, but I feel like there was an indirect replacement because it definitely has an impact on reducing the uh, load on the skimmer. And I also feel like just nipping all of that uneaten food, uh, undecomposed particulate matter in the bud means that your dissolved organics, right? Your dissolved uh, nitrogenous waste that become food sources for your plants, I mean, sorry, for your algae and for your corals, right, is reduced as well, you know? So you you don't have this dependency on some, uh, some organism consuming that in a, in a more dissolved bioavailable state. Um, so yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. And then you brought up a really good point on the phone about there's something to be said for the lower maintenance on um, upkeep of keeping your skimmer and your return pump in good shape, right? I mean, the it's keeping all of that downstream stuff in the sump just spotless. Um, Can I just say, I don't know why, but I've always loved the combination of the words nitrogenous waste. Just the way nitrogenous <laughs> comes out. It's just there's something poetic about it. But yeah, you know uh, – I'm not sure how many people are really thinking about some of the side effects, you know, the unintended consequences of using an automatic filter roll, because if you're exporting that waste before it can break down, um, you know, I'm sure everybody is looking at it as a, a way to reduce the bio load, the effective bio load of the aquarium by removing those uneaten foods and you know detritus and fecal matter and whatnot but also when you have uneaten food and things that are breaking down that is decreasing your orb that is also being fueling bacterial growth which when it respires you know reduce exude co2 like i'm not sure how much we can attribute um, depressed CO2 to like uh, a buildup of organics, but certainly there's like a point where, okay, your yeah. organics are really depressing your CO2. And my main reason for mechanical filtration is to not reduce maintenance per se, but ensure the proper operation of my return pump and the protein skimmer, not just the impeller, reducing the biofilm that accumulates within the volute and you know the spinning magnet but also all the buildup on you know our needle whales almost virtually all of us are using needle whales now and uh for sure like that's going to keep your your stuff operating much better yeah. much much better um over a longer period of time reducing problems reducing issues reducing equipment malfunction and i think those side effects i mean god we're talking about we're talking about another generation of reef keepers before that um kind of gets uh you know written etched in stone as far as like things that we believe and know to be true so we still uh, you know we still have some time but the one thing that i was thinking too is like you know we both talked about the potential for some of the smaller uh, micron filter rolls to remove certain parasites. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, like, how crazy would it be, on, you know, just on a hypothetical reef tank, if it had the 200 micron reef mat, you know, taking the water first, and then that was going into a chamber that was somehow feed a clarity with a 50 micron fleece. <laughs> would that be overkill? <laughs> 
if you really want i mean it would be a diminishing return to add a secondary automatic filter roll. It's just just for, for hypothetics sake. Um, but man, you know, if somebody wanted to build like a be all end all automatic filter roll, I wouldn't think, I don't think it'd be super crazy to put a 200 mesh uh, filter roll and then maybe right underneath it, you know, a finer one. Uh, you know, I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. I mean, uh... <laughs> the look on your face. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> we need two filter rolls now? No, but it, that, that's the other. Um, I mean, I yeah, I could talk longer about. I, I so I know that it was a way to automate mechanical filtration, and people didn't want to have to pull their filter socks. But I feel like it has, and and maybe someone who was super OCD about filter socks would look at this comment and say, duh, because the effect would be the same about somebody who was diligent about replacing filter socks a lot, but just all of the downstream benefits, right? I mean, you'd have a less dependency on carbon and yellowing of your water. Um, obviously we talked about protein skimmers. Um, I, you know, one of the beneficial side effects of running a UV is I have really great water clarity, but guess what? This tank down here doesn't run UV, but runs the Clarity and has amazing water clarity. So, mm-hmm. Again, that's one other um, dependency potentially, you know, for from a UV perspective. Um, and yeah, parasites, right? Um, I, we'll get into that in a second, but um, just just think about free floating aptasia. Yeah, right. We, you know, when we were kind of ramping up the tanks here, Evan coined a term of uh, aptasia going pelagic. Right, where you have some Maptasia that are just like you know thick, chunky anemones that just you know really attach to where they are, and if they're I don't know what what the trigger is or if if it's just a function of having a bunch, but they 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 hit the water somehow and they start floating around into your overflow box into your sump like they didn't walk there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And so you know just reducing all those pests, every little thing like you know how big are Valonia spores. How big are, you know, little bits of bryopsis? Little and, algae, um, yeah. I'm, well, I mean, I I have this weird dormant dino, and I've done experiments where I lower my water temperature and the dinos show up. And then when I raise my water temperature, the dinos go away. And this new tank, um, one of the brief uglies I had was dinos showed up, you know, and... But that filter roller was just going into overtime. And what was interesting is, you know, dinos stink, right? I mean, when you have dinos, your tank smells like fishy. And that filter roller stunk. Uh, But I could hear it doing its little churn. And I don't know what the micron size of dinoflagellates is, but I always look at mechanical filtration. Like I'll take um, uh, polyfill, which you can buy, you know, quilt batting. And I'll throw that into a filter sometimes when I need to clear something up. If I, you know, let's say you've added new sand and you know, you know, this, even if, uh, there are things that could pass through that mechanical filtration while it's still clean as that, um, filter media gets clogged up with larger particulates, it starts to filter out smaller and smaller micron things. And so eventually you just have this crystal clear tank, um, the same could be said for these filter rollers, right? Like that 200 micron, is it 200 micron for the Red Sea? Mm-hmm. As it starts one. to catch particulate matter, it's going to filter smaller and smaller microns. The same about the Clarity. So 
I'm telling you, the filter roller was brown. And the only thing I could attribute to this brand new tank was dinos. And so you're just exporting these dinos when they go into free swimming mode at night, right? Um, but every, yeah. every battle with pest is a small war of attrition, right? You're just mm -hmm. hoping to take care of it faster than it can grow. So if the UV can help, if the clarity can help, if lowering the temperature can help, I swear, man, people are not catching on to this temperature thing that you shared over a year ago. And I really think there's a connection between lower nutrients and lower temperature and this boom of dinoflagellates. I still need to like have a direct conversation with Mike Sensky. I think I mentioned this before. He had a you know major account that had a big bloom of dinoflagellates and he threw the kitchen sink at it. He lowered the temperature, he dosed iron, and I don't think it, the, thing, the tank already had UV, so maybe he just like wiped down the bulbs or, or added UV, I'm not sure. But the, the temperature thing, man, I, I really think that's something people are going to figure out. And I don't know what other people's tanks are running at. You know, my tanks are about 75 to 77 in the wintertime. In the summertime, you know, I let them kind of naturally rise up to about 78 to 79. Even if they hit 80, like, it doesn't bother me none. But what are the temperatures that you have seen? Because you're kind of the, the vanguard of this temperature versus dinoflagellate oh. discussion. So it wasn't my idea, right? It was a guy's YouTube that um, he accidentally uh, misconfigured a heater in one tank. He had two tanks with dynos and, and his nano the heater was misconfigured uh, and his tank temp shot up and he couldn't figure out why his dynos were gone in the nano, but they still exist in his large tank. So I, I don't have the person's name, but credit to him for having you know, good observation and starting to try to figure out, okay, what's different. And I do know that there are people that this has not worked for similar to UV has not worked for every, like UV seems to target one species of dino, but if you have the other kind of dino, UV does nothing for you. Um, but uh, after I saw his YouTube, I said, okay, I'm going to just bump my tanks up to 82 degrees Fahrenheit, which was not an uncommon temperature to run your tank at back in the halite days. And the common wisdom back then was take whatever the, your peak temperature is during the day when your halides are cooking your tank and just adjust your heater to that so you don't have massive temperature swings. So at night, your tank would be 82. Now, I don't know if everybody follows that. I know plenty of people that have large fluctuations in temperature on their tank, but, um, and it didn't happen overnight, right? It wasn't a, a big cure type situation where like, oh, they're dead, but it just shifted the balance and the competitive advantage. And I started to see more of the familiar faces of algae, right? Start mm. to show up. Um, and the dinos started to just wither away and they were gone. Um, what's also weird is I, have had I'm gonna knock on my wood desk here. <laughs> I don't get cyano anymore, so I keep my tanks now at um, eighty point five, right? So it fluctuates between eighty eighty one. I don't have cyano. I never get cyano, not even in my sump, right? In my uh, refugium, which usually everybody's got a little bit, like a little patch of cyano, you know, in their cato, whatever. Uh, so why would I put the temperature back down to 77, 78? You know, I'm like, man, mm -hmm. something, some juju's working here and I'm not going to mess with it. I mean, I can 
do all kinds of stupid things to my tank. Uh, my nitrates bottomed out to zero. No cyano, no dinos. I'm not trying to preach everyone should run their tanks at this temperature, but it's like I, I have no compelling argument to bring it back down. Um, so I, but it, can we talk you know, about nutrients a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the followers of Reef Builders, the website and the YouTube channel and Reef Therapy know that um, maybe about two years ago, I was really starting to realize that my nutrients are really low. And last year, the HANA nitrate checker came out and I discovered that, you know, several of my systems are running 0.00 nitrates. And so now we test nitrates once a week and I know which ones are going to suck it up real fast. And um, I'm looking at my Red Sea tank with like a lot of SPS corals and a clam, and it's just like a field of corals, right? And there's a few of the deep water style acros, you know, like a purple dragon with green tips, an orange dragon, um, kind of a rosy table-ish kind of coral acro, and then my Suharsanoi. And they're just, they've been like excessively pale for a few weeks a few months, I'll say. And I just recently like reduced the, the channel with the red and the green LEDs, you know, hoping that would, would help a little bit. And just on a whim, literally a few hours ago, we tested the phosphates on that tank and another tank using the HANA checker. Phosphates are 0, 0.00. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm literally trying to feed these fish more like I'm, when I'm feeding the fish, I'm thinking about all their poop going to the water and feeding all the corals. So for the first time ever today, I deliberately added phosphates to a reef tank. <laughs> After 27 years of reefing, I added phosphates on purpose. On purpose. I'm using you know, Brightwell Neophos. Now, the other thing that struck me is like if I poured the 500 ml bottle into basically about 200 gallons of water volume, that would raise my phosphates by 0 0.05. And I understand, you know, not, Brightwell doesn't want anybody to get in trouble. Anybody who's offering a, a phosphate solution, they don't want people to get in trouble. But I was thinking about it and like the value of the phosphate inside that bottle is worth less than the cap. Right? You're just talking about a few pennies worth of phosphates. I'm like, all right, well, we'll try this a little bit because I have several bottles. And again, you won't get in trouble with it. Um, I think I dosed 100 mLs to one of the tanks and got it up to 0 0.02. <laughs> I'm over here like, oh, my God, my phosphates are too low. And, you know, the Ghanis in the other tank are just not as vivid as they should be. And I just think it's so many corals. They're just sucking it up. You know, obviously, you know, I've got decent mechanical filtration, decent protein skimming, bare bottom. We keep the sump super clean. Um, you know, we did some pretty good water changes before um, uh, reef stock, you know, just make sure everything was super kosher and, and rolling. But I'm just still like, I get adding nitrate because I've done planted tanks a lot and understand like a field of plants will suck down your nitrates. But, you know, usually phosphates, like a little bit of fish poop will go a long way. But I'm just kind of flabbergasted that... Uh, it must, it must be a critical mass of coral. Like the coral has become the entire filter for this tank. And the automatic filter on the protein skimmer is basically just my security blanket. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do, I have thought about turning down the protein skimmer. So I think I'm going to do that next, which is awesome because it's got a control of protein skimmer. So I can just, you know, turn it down a few tens of percent and, uh, you know, just see if I can find that balance of the tank 
holding on to its own phosphates. I actually just ordered um, my my phosphate test kit was way expired because I never test for it. Um, but mm-hmm. I I grew curious about uh, what my phosphate levels are. Um, I have a ton of coralline algae growing on the back glass, but it seems to be really slow on the uptake on the rocks. Um, and I was just curious about because. A lot of people, when they start dosing kalkwasser, they say, okay, that was their cure to getting, you know, massive coralline growth. Um, and I always wonder, is it pH related or is it that kalkwasser binds phosphates and uh, coralline algae does calcification, right? Like a coral and phosphate, high phosphate levels mm-hmm. could inhibit calcification. Um, I don't think that's my problem, but I just wanted to be sure what the numbers are. Um, but that's also goes back to me trying to get more fish in my tank. You know, I'm trying to add more fish because, uh, nitrates bottoming out is a problem for me as well. Um, but I was dosing potassium nitrate, but then out of curiosity, I tested my potassium and it was through the roof. (laughs) So that scared me. Uh, then I switched to calcium nitrate. What is through the roof? Uh... I'd have to look it up. Because um, I, I mean, think natural seawater levels, 480 milligrams per liter. Yeah. My tanks consistently run about 450, 460. So I'm like, I mean, I mean, I'm within 5%, so I don't worry about it. And then I'm raising the nitrates, you know, a few ppms. So, you know, it's one ppm of potassium for every ppm of nitrate that I'm adding. So I'm not worried about the potassium nitrate. But what do you think was through the roof? I'm just I was curious above what you 600. The um, I didn't see any Whoa. negative effects, but uh, yeah. And I was really oh, only yeah. dosing. Uh, I was only dosing about one ppm a day. Yeah. So then I switched to calcium nitrate, uh, and I was dosing that happy as a camper, thinking, "Well, it's calcium, right?" Um, but I did see in one of my smaller systems that my calcium got up above 500. Again, I didn't see any weird side effects, but it just got me thinking, man, it'd just be easier if I just add a crap ton more fish. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, that's going to also skew your phosphate numbers, but, um, you know, that's a bridge I'm willing to cross and figure out. Um, but, um, so this, we could segue into two topics from here, but we'll, we'll circle back to, um, I liked our discussion about um, filter rollers potentially having a positive impact on you know fish parasites, right? Or potentially even aptasia, uh, other types Let's of. Let's just pets. call them reef parasites. Yeah, and it just that was another uh, coffee thinking moment for me. Of you know, are there certain things that um, unintentionally make tanks over time less hospitable to these parasites. And so those people have less problems with them, right? There's been a lot of um, debate about UV sterilizers, right? Because you plumb it into your sump. um, It's not going to kill every single parasite that's swimming around in your display tank. But I think most people who have used them long-term do see that eventually... Um, that parasitic load diminishes, right? And part of that could also be just gained immunity from your fish. 
your corals and other microorganisms becoming um, great little predators for those parasites, right? But um, in my opinion, I've seen uh, a good experience with sticking a UV on a tank. It's not going to cure a heavy infestation overnight. You know, that fish that looks like it's on its last leg ain't going to be saved by a UV. But over the period of months, it does seem to have a positive effect. And, you know, you've brought up bare bottom tanks before as being, you know, less hospitable to um, fish parasites, uh, potentially other pests as well, right? Um, so I, I guess the open-ended question there is, you know, coral biomass, right? Corals are going to eat microorganisms, um, UV sterilizer, having small micron mechanical filtration in the shape of a filter roll. Uh, I'm not a fan of bare bottom, but, you know, a coralline coated bare bottom tank is probably not going to be the best place for, you know, ick to, yeah, go for it. A lawn of zoanthids. Yeah. A lawn of encrusting cyphastria. A lawn of any encrusting corals or even green star polyp. Um, that doesn't look bad. But one thing I'll say about UV, and this is kind of a permanent opinion of mine, I have never seen a reef tank or any tank that suffered from having a UV. The only thing to really consider is, you know, the small bump in temperature because you're, you know, it's a heat source. Yeah. Um, so you have never seen anyone get in trouble with the UV. It's not the same thing as overcomplicating your reef tank with lots of controllers and switches and doodads. Um, so yeah, there's virtually no harm in having a UV. <clears throat> On paper, yes, it's going to reduce your biodiversity of things in the tank. But if you look at any tank that's had a UV, they're not hurting right? Life finds a way in the immortal yeah. world's words of Jeff Goldblum. Life finds a way. But then again, once in a while, you see tanks where you're like, all right, this thing's a little scuzzy. You know, the water's got a certain soupiness to it. And there's just a little bit too much biology going on. I think we romanticize biodiversity and all the things that can grow as um, something that we want in our aquariums. But you got to understand, man, in the ocean, it's a nonstop battle of every creature against every other creature to survive, right? So perhaps, you know, the UV is filling in a role of just tamping down some of that biology in the beginning or in the end to just help it more gradually adjust, you know, and like you were saying over a long period of time, but, you know, the corals might be eating some of these parasites. And I don't think a coral really cares if a microorganism is alive or freshly cooked <laughs> from UV. You know, the only thing about UV is just, you know, make sure to do um, your due diligence. Make sure you have a proper flow rate through there. You can't have it ripping. You need to replace your lamps once in a while, you know, every 8 to 12 months, depending on your brand. And you got to clean off that the quartz sleeve. Yeah. You know, you can't just, just like any other device, you can't just set it and forget it forever. Like there's a, a tiny bit of maintenance and with a UV sterilizer, I mean, you're just talking about, you know, kicking the tires about once a year or every two years. It's not asking too much. Yeah. And I mean, there's been folks struggling with, a lot, especially in the LPS department now, um, some coral pathogens, right? Some are bacterial. Um 
you just have to wonder if um, that could be a potential solution to stave off some of those issues, right? That that um, I mean, I had my fun run when I tried to add biodiversity to your point uh, by adding some Florida Keys uh, sand, um, and I ended up with SCTN bacteria that took out you know a uh, six-year-old favia coral that I had and. Um, and an orange, uh, tongue coral. And, you know, it was, it was oh, yeah, not the orange herpolitha. Oh God, that hurts. That hurts for me retroactively. Yeah. I mean, I still have one left, but it was kind of cool having two, you know? Um, anyway, um, mm-hmm. but so I did not have a UV though, at that time. Right. But it just kind of, I wonder if I popped one of those on, um, would that have helped? Now the bacteria that's on the coral tissue, uh, again, it's not swimming around going through your sump, but you know, it could. But some of it is. Yeah. Like we don't know for sure. But the one thing I just want the, the audience to really understand, it's not black and white, Mm-mm. right? It's not, you're not adding a UV to exterminate XYZ pest parasite. I love how this, <laughs> we came into this freestyling and we're just basically talking about UV sterilizers <laughs> with, with just no prep. Um, it's not a... a digital right it's analog it's not on off it's not zero and one it's a gradient you know if there's a couple flies couple mosquitoes you know flying around you and you get a couple bites whatever you're gonna you're gonna live um same thing with the coral with some whatever these unknown pathogens are and you know but if you're like surrounded by a swarm of flies or mosquitoes and they're biting you all over and getting your eyes you're not gonna have a good time and that's the same thing with uh with corals whatever this 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 suite of mystery pathogens that you know we're still on the frontier of understanding um knocking them back mm-hmm. is almost is that's the goal not exterminating you're like you're probably never going to exterminate you know the entire surface of the coral is an ecosystem of, of microbes and it's just about tipping that balance you know so things like automatic filter rolls uv sterilizers and ozone can just help you know, uh, create a just more healthful environment for your fish and for your corals. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I've always been a keep it simple kind of guy and, uh, having run a UV for a few years on and off, and I usually use it as a treatment, right. Or, um, Hey, I'm adding a bunch of, I'm hoping to add new fish. Um, but I see, I see that side effect, right. And, and the filter roller, um, you know, for a guy that really liked the whole Walter 80 au natural approach, this, you know, robotic mechanical filter has definitely uh, won my heart. You know, I'm, I I love that little thing. Um, yeah, that's a good book. I think everyone should read that. We forgot uh, about our book uh, recommendations, but that one was definitely <laughs> that one was on my list to talk about. Um no, but I mean, it's, it's, it's endearing. I hear the little motor turn when I add some fish food, like he's like a little grumpy little machine. It's not loud. No, it's not. It's super quiet, but it's just, just enough to like let you know, pumps to yeah. let you know that, you know, the gears are turning. No one's going to complain about that no, noise. It's, it's not constant, but just enough to like, oh yeah, it's working. It's like a little fish grunting in your sump. Like, Hey, you know, I, uh, I noticed you put something <laughs> in the tank, <laughs> you know, I don't anyway. Um, but then, so speaking of fish, and this is maybe I, 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 me expressing some humility because I don't know if it's me or if other people are having similar experiences, um, 
but has the quality of fish just gone downhill or, you know, is it, and I, so I'll preface this. I I've heard reports of, you know, these, uh, cargo planes or planes carrying cargo and you're, you know, these, these, uh, folks that are collecting fish and coral, you know, they're hoping to get their boxes on the plane and then they don't get that plane and then they have to wait for the next plane and it's sitting on the tarmac and they're waiting. Um, so I know there's supply chain issues, right? I know that wholesalers are bringing in a were at least bringing in a lot less, um, during the height of COVID. And so, you know, that, that in, impacts the livestock and I'm not going to blame my problems there, but man, I used to think I had a blue thumb when it came to fish. Like I felt like I was a pro at conditioning fish. Like I could take that sick fish from the store and turn it around or just any fish I ordered, I felt reasonably confident that if it showed up breathing in the bag, that I could, I could get it through, uh, some decent quarantine and, you know, I feed the hell in quarantine. I condition them. I turn them into fat little beggars before I put them in my main tank. Um, but my success rate in doing that has been miserable the last few months. And I'm wondering, is it me or, I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot of more DOAs too, right? Just, uh, a lot less fish showing up alive. Um, I've tried a buttload of different vendors. The one I had the best experience with was TSM. I mean, those things were begging for food in the bag. I was highly impressed. And I know um, I was going to essentially stick with them going forward because I was so impressed. But then, of course, uh, you know, it's sad to hear that Matt passed away. And then, you know, they, they, they went offline for a bit. I think they're coming back online. But in that time frame, I tried some other quarantine fish vendors. I've tried the usual suspects. I won't, I'm not going to get into names or vendors because I don't want to badmouth anybody because I am a sample size of one and it's not fair to the vendor. Um, I'm just curious because I mean, local fish store owners are dealing with wholesale fish, right? Um, is it, I don't know about you. I mean, you, I know you haven't been, you're, you're more coral focused and you probably aren't bringing in a ton of fish, uh, into the studio, but it just feels Mark, like there's something up there. You are absolutely right. I just had this conversation with, uh, <clears throat> Elliot Lim of Marine Co uh, Collectors just, uh, the other day, my old fish display 150 gallon tank, a clair and angel fish, a few butterfly fish, you know, sanguinous hogfish. And, you know, I would throw fish in quarantine and do nothing more than copper if necessary, mm -hmm. throw them in the tank. And then, like, no problem. My only issues back, I mean, five, seven years ago was aggression. I only lost fish when, you know, something dynamic changed in the tank and somebody yeah. beat up somebody else. And since doing the studio, I've been more diligent about deep quarantining, um, using, you know, several layers of like praziquantel and, you know, medicated foods and, you know, putting them in my fish tank and then just like all these residual parasites cropping up like later. And I was talking to Elliot, like, I never used to have this problem. Yeah. You know, you get the fish to a certain level of quarantine, just make sure it doesn't have Vic, boom, you're done. And it's great. And we're just talking about the last five, 
to 10 years. And yes, like certain fish have gotten a lot harder. And I think I have a theory. I think it's a, a, um, a side effect of our own success of the reef aquarium hobby. So if you rewind the clock, like 15, 20 years, um, the, the higher quality, the higher priced fish, the higher value fish, they were treated with respect, right? Any kind of large tang, fancy antheas, big wrasses, big angelfish, they were treated with respect. But we always had trouble with the green chromises. Oh, yeah. You, you know, damselfish also, and you're just like, how are the hardiest fish having a hard time surviving? Well, it's because they're treated like crap. You know, they sell the export price used to be a few cents you're talking about 10 to 15 cents before you know all the shipping costs and freight and all that yeah. stuff was was added to it obviously it's a lot more now and chromises were really hard because it was just you had to just buy 20 and uh, hope you'd end up with like seven or eight right and they were always and so, prone to what was it uranema or um is that how you say it? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. That was like their they're go -to packed fish into fish. bags very tightly. They're you know they're shipped just they're just handled poorly all along the way. So now the reef aquarium hobby, the saltwater aquarium hobby, is much larger. There's a lot more fish being caught, a lot more dealers, and you know people. So also back in the day, we got to say back in the day a few times per episode. Um, I remember wholesalers like really taking pride in their systems. You know, um, they would shut them down. They had so many systems, right? There was always a few systems that were fallow. They would shut them down, bleach them, and then start them over because they could handle the capacity with a couple systems down. And I really believe this is my personal theory that you know in addition to just you know all the collectors exporters importers and retailers trying to satisfy the demand and you know quality going down with increasing quantity i think there's a lot more exotic pests that are brewing at each one of these collection points or, or handling points yeah you know so there's just a lot more stress on the fish they're not being treated nearly as much as as precious as you know we used to in the past and i'm just talking about the chain the supply chain right and uh, as a secondary effect because everybody's just trying to keep up with the demand those systems are not getting bleached and reset like they used to you know sure they have copper sure they hit them with with uh prazi and uh formalin i mean i used to be the one i, I don't even know if you can get formalin i know formalin was like oh, the yeah. go-to for just knocking back everything but a lot of regulations i think have made that a lot harder to get your hands on so it's a oddball knock-on effect but yeah i was you know me and ellie were both saying same thing same thing you said is we used to think we knew how to handle fish. We used to think that, oh, yeah, no problem. That fish shows up even in like, you know, 10, 15 percent alive. It's going to live forever. I'm going to get that turn that thing into just a greedy little pig and condition it to like crazy and add it to my tank and just never think about it. And now I'm looking less in my reef tanks, but more in my fish tank. I'm like, I'm looking at hitting that thing with you know, Prazi powder uh, twice a year just prophylactically because there's just things that creep up and if i don't i feel like 
certain fish, um, like the small pygmy angel fish, um, they'll get like the gill flukes. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I keep hitting this with prezi power. The gill flukes keep coming back and I'm not adding new fish. And it's, it's frustrating. It's discouraging. Yeah. But I mean, I, I do not, but just to kind of like circle back to what you were saying, I don't have any of these parasite issues in my reef tanks. Yeah. And it, I have been always a very big proponent of quarantine. Um, it, but yeah, part of me starts to wonder if maybe some of these fish, I just got to throw into a reef, you know, and, and dump and pray. But I, 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 that would be after some observation, right. That, you know, you don't have the really scary ones like velvet and that, that, that's the stuff mm -hmm. that just nukes your whole system. But um, and I have been reading some things online about um, flukes that are resistant to prazi, and uh, I'm, I always butcher medical terms or medical pharmaceutical names, so I apologize. But I think they're trying to treat now with fenbenazole or something like that. Um, fenbendazole. Thank you um, for yeah, those. No, there's there's all these azoles. There's oh, all these yeah, different metronidazole uh, treatments, and, and I just yeah. but I well, metro is a really old one. Yeah, no, I just, it's another Zoll, right? Uh, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I have my quarantine tank. It's, it's got the most mature nitrifying system ever. You know, I usually keep a token fish in there to keep everything running smoothly. Um, and I, I've got nice dim lights, you know, like to set the mood. I mean, I, I, for someone who doesn't like to feed a lot of frozen food, it's more of a treat in my main display. New fish, man, they get fattened up and pampered. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll get fish that... It's not just you. No, just, I get Just DOAs. to get back to your question, it's not just you. Yeah. I, it's just frustrating. And, and, so the, 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 yeah. Go ahead. The unfair thing is, this is not really happening, to, to my knowledge, at the importer level or at the retail level, you know, they, they lose a few weak fish, but I think most of these, um, long-term effects are being felt by the consumer because it's a different class of parasites and, um, uh, yeah, not, not happy with it. Like I said, my previous fish display tank, if I put a fish in there, it's in there forever. And unless something beats it up or kills it, or I decide to take it out because it's so big and aggressive, it doesn't fit in the mix anymore. And now I'm just like so gun shy. I, I called Elliot. I was like, dude, can you make me a couple annual layers angelfish? Cause I just, that's how we started the conversation. I was like, I don't really feel comfortable. Um, doing the thorough quarantine. Like I, I still kind of do, but I just, yeah. I want someone who's more of a fish guy who's just really tuned into that. Like I'm, I'm, I love my fish and I, I know what to do, but I'm more tuned into my corals and what to do with them. And right now bringing in more fish while creating all this content and building a couple more tanks. I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth. I was like, Elliot, can you make me a couple of nice annularis angelfish, please? <laughs> and I, I didn't want to mention names, but uh, I have not ordered from him. So all the all the bad experiences, none of that could be attributed to him because I did mention, you know, some quarantine fish uh, vendors, but uh, I've never ordered from him. So maybe I should give him a try. Um, but I mean, I'm 0 for 3 on mystery asses. I got one from my local fish store. What? Uh, and Ooh. they're always... Ooh, that, that stinks. They're eating. They're happy. They're cruising. In my tank, right? Uh, they passed the quarantine gauntlet. They're rocking uh, the local fisher one. And then they, at first, you know, 
and they're not jumping, right? They're because uh, I know when it's I know when a fish dies in my tank because the algae on my glass, you know, like you know how much algae produces on microalgae shows mm-hmm. up on your glass, and all of a sudden you see a ton of microalgae in your glass, and you're like, mm, let me do a fish count, and then you're like, oh yeah, there's one decomposing somewhere, fertilizer. Um, oh. So then I ordered uh, I ordered a quarantined one. Um, yeah, I've tried it all, right? And then I I did one where I'm like, F it, I'm going to quarantine one myself, right? I'm going to get one that's just direct from a wholesaler, uh, or not from a wholesaler, but you know, if you order from like, say, Live Aquarian, it's not the diver's den, you know, it's coming it's out of college. It's dropshipped, it's probably yeah. as fresh as you're going to get. And I can always get them through quarantine, and they're fat, and they're eating, and they're little beggars, and then um, they just slowly just disappear, and to the point that I wondered, do I have a predator in my tank? Um, but but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you got a bobbit worm with that Florida rock, and it's no. just hiding in your rock or your sand and just scooping up. It's got a taste for Parakylinus ocellatus. That's no, what and I mean, so that's a bad example, I guess, because I the quarantine. I just um, yes, today I I scooped up a dead leopard wrasse out of my quarantine tank, and the thing never showed a sign of disease, but it had a sunken belly. Right, it went through prazi, um, never ate, and just wasted away and died. And and I know leopard wrasses are hard, but I had a pajama cardinal in there die twenty four hours after it arrived. You know, I. Freaking pajama card. I think there might be something there, and um, this is a good time to address our listeners on the YouTube channel. If you are experiencing some of these mysterious fish deaths after doing everything right, buying from a quality source, putting it through quarantine, conditioning it to a point where it's just a great fish, and then you put it in your display, and then you know weeks or months later, it mysteriously dies, that is not normal. Right. If no. you're a newer aquarist, you should know that. And uh, this is one of those cases where it's like, all right, well, hopefully I start captive breeding mystery wrasses one of these days. And <laughs> I know somebody fish, you know? out there is going like to argue think. that quarantine call it kills more fish, you know, and there's the anti-quarantine crowd. And I, I hear you, but I've been quarantining fish for a long time. And this is a, a net new difference. Right. This is a change. I mean, I don't treat heavily. I don't nuke the fish. You know, I also feed a ton of frozen food. I also, I gut load brine shrimp with all kinds of goodies and feed them that. I I try to keep the, I guess, probiotics of the fish, you know, the internal gut flora. I try to target that. I I mean, I've even messed with um, beta glucan, you know, like (laughs) I I've done it all. Um, and I found something that works for me. And I, like I said, I felt confident in my quarantine skills. So yes, a, a crappy quarantine does kill a lot of fish, but that's not the issue here. You know, that's not so, what we're talking about. No. no. Well, let us know below if you've had some similar challenges, you know, going through the motions of, of doing everything right. And, um, yeah, maybe we can talk about a more uplifting topic now. Yeah. Um, well, those were, oh, so here's a really short five minute. And I know, um, I mean, you've got probably a different approach to this because you're not a guy at home with a reef tank. You're, you've got a studio with a bazillion tanks. But, um, 
you know, disaster preparedness, I see a lot of wisdom out there about it's usually the same article with the same bullet points or the same YouTube video. And it's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And oh, you know, if you can't afford a generator, get a inverter for your car, get a battery, blah, blah, blah. And two things that I think when I witnessed what happened in Texas, and that got me thinking because we get ice storms here in Georgia. One is, yes, generators are good, but um, they make portable dual fuel generators that take propane, the same tanks of propane you put on your barbecue. And the reason I feel like people should talk about that is because our crowd never uses a generator, right? It sits in your garage, you use it for a disaster, and then it sits back in your garage. And in my opinion, uh, a gasoline generator sucks for that application. Storing gasoline and not having it go bad is a pain in the butt, right? Um, Keeping a gasoline-powered engine clean and operational is a pain in the butt. Um, But I was just going to throw out there, they make portable generators now that cost as much as a gasoline generator. It runs on propane, and you can store uh, a tank of barbecue-style grill propane for years in your, you know, there's nothing you need to do to it. Um, And then the other thing, just random thought Uh, And I brought this up in the past, but if you lose power in winter, your heater will not keep your tank warm enough if the ambient air temperature inside your house gets too cold, right? Heaters Mm -hmm. are really designed to raise it maybe 10 degrees. I don't know. Some people. That's asking a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If you're lucky enough to have a gas-powered furnace, um, the electricity that powers that furnace is less than 200 watts and they make these cool little transfer switches that you can have an electrician or if you're handy, you know, don't electrocute yourself, use somebody that knows what they're doing. But it's essentially a transfer switch just for your furnace that allows you to plug an extension cord into it and run it off of an extension cord, which you can plug into a portable generator and now your wife and your kids are happy as well because mm-hmm. they're not freezing to death staring at your fish. Um, and, you know, it's much easier if you can keep your house warm to keep your fish warm. So, Well, on a, on a similar note, if it's cold, wrap your tank in a blanket. Yeah. Cover the tank with styrofoam. Don't just run it like normal. Obviously, you know, skip the lights. Um maybe i mean skimmer's probably not that much um but yeah like think about these other things that we do to stay warm when we're cold treat your tank like that because you know what if you're throwing 300 watts towards your heater but you're like you said the amber temperature is really cold but your tank is also not covered well like you're just really not doing yourself any favors yeah um, i'm really fortunate that i've lived in golden like 15 years and never had the power out any significant amount of time i think there's been a couple times when the power went out here and i went on a bike ride just because i knew that the power were going to come back on and everything would come on just fine maybe a couple things need to be kick-started because you know we're looking at a couple hundred devices running here at the studio but for my part my preparedness is a lot of batteries a lot of battery operated air pump because because you know this whole place is well insulated if it was cold or if it was you know too hot i was just turn off the lights and open it up let it breathe it doesn't get that hot in colorado and uh, for me it's just all about that aeration aeration is you know super duper key especially when it's hot and when it's cold. But when it's cold, it's like not that much of a problem because of the gas-powered furnace, like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's just, 
it it was again just a random thought because I think I stumbled on some preparedness video of how what to do with your reef tank, and I thought, man, why is nobody talking about these two things, right? Uh, propane portable generators that are from, built for camping, and um, you know, hey, gas furnaces, man, they uh, they don't take a lot of electricity. Now, electric furnace, different story, yeah. um, but um, right, it's just just some stuff to think about all the things that we overthink in this hobby and we get into the nitty gritty. I was, I, you know, I, every YouTube video about buying a generator for your reef tank talks about a gasoline generator. And I, I mean, I had a well, gasoline also generator. About keeping everything on. Yeah. Right. Um, I've seen some folks, um, have like an automatic switch to the circuit that runs their tank. Then they're just so proud that during a power outage, everything is on. I'm like, is that really, what you're what we're trying to do here in a, in a time of crisis um but along with those same lines you know keeping a clean tank keeping that detritus down so if you have a stress event you're not encountering a cascade reaction of you don't have enough oxygen for the bacteria in the sump and then it's uh, creating kind of a foul situation and that stresses another animal and then they start fouling and then everything yeah. starts fouling and then you have a you know a dead tank yeah that's but, a good um, point because bare bottom tanks nice collection always. Of, Sorry, go ahead. I have a nice collection of um, rechargeable battery uh, yeah. air pumps. I don't oh, have the rechargeable. Just ones. as a matter of fact. Who makes the? Uh, yeah, rechargeable I, I've got a few, a bunch, a bunch of folks. No, I mean no brand makes it right. They put their sticker on it. I've been collecting them from just asian suppliers for a long time every time i go to interview i pick up one or two and they're you know usb powered so you could charge them off a battery bank and it's like yep there you go i don't need a mountain of uh, d cells or anything um but yeah i'm lucky but is this it's your your reef tank just i mean making it resilient to a power outage is the same as making it resilient to everything keeping yeah. things clean, not having a giant pet sand bed. It's different if you have a small ornamental sand bed, but if you got a deep sand bed like we used to back in the day, um, no, and that that's was a one of those things that's going to suck up oxygen. Bare bottom suck tanks up oxygen did way better, right? I mean, during a power outage, that was a known fact. Um, anyway, yeah. And it's just, again, random thought that – didn't warrant a whole reef therapy, but I was just, it's one of those where like I look at it and go, why is nobody talking about these things? Um, just cause. Well, they left it for us. They knew yeah. we were coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you remember, but, um, earlier days of reef builders, I used to do this thing of like virtual, uh, window shopper where I would scour the websites, all 10 of them that sold corals oh, online. Oh, yeah. And, and would just like earmark a few things. And today I started doing that. Literally went to Google, typed in, you know, live coral for sale and just visited every kind of place. I got three pages through and I was like, all right, I'm in that's enough. That's enough. I just <laughs> want to point out some corals that are undervalued or some hidden gems or Send just that to me first fun. before you publish. <laughs> You're not wrong because I already ordered some of the corals that I found. I dude, I was stupefied because I mean, I spent a couple hours just 
Skim, 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 skim. Like next one, next one. All these these names I've never heard of. I mean, I think one company just launched, and I found some really incredible stuff. Like I found these large Pachyceras frags for ten dollars from A Recreation. He had several of them. Um, ten dollars. Um, and they were, you know, sort of colorful, you know, kind of olive with um, very tiny green mouths and a ever so slightly blue edge. I was at the public aquarium uh, this weekend. My sister-in-law was getting certified to dive in one of their big tanks. And I looked at their displays. I'm like, oh, man, you got some cool Pachyceras in there. I was like, I need to see if I can get some of that. So found some Pachyceras. Um, this one company had these insane, like really cool micromusas, like you know, actual micromusas. One of them was like speckly green. They called it the Lizard King. Another one was kind of UFO style, but it had like, I don't know, like 50, 60 polyps. It was a hundred bucks. The green one with three mouths was $10. They had another one that was a little bit bigger. It was $20. You know, I was like, I just typed in micromusas and just ordered all of them. I'm like, these are all <laughs> very cool and underpriced. Um, let's see. I found another Marilina. Labeled as a platygyra, you know, nice uh, kind of rich, rich brown coloration, you know, a hint of pink with green in the valleys. Um, it was like 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Like, we're talking about legitimately rare corals in the hobby now. You know, they're not, they're, they're actually rare. What, you know, I think my, another one that was super surprising is I found a frag of Leptoria. They just called it alien maze. I went, you know, I've been looking for three years for a good Leptoria. I've got a colony about six months ago in Dallas. and But finding this frag, I'm like, man, I need Leptoria in some of the other tanks. And it, again, it was like 20 bucks. Um, but the biggest score, which I haven't ordered yet, was uh, I found this pink and green Cossinaria. Do you remember Cossinaria? Vaguely, loosely, it's kind of like a love child of Samacora and Leptastria. And if you look at pictures of like diving specimens, you're like, well, whatever. But this, and I remember there was this pink one that used to come in, you know, periodically, probably mostly from Fiji. But the the ones that they were selling was pink with like green polyps. And the thing that pissed me off was not that they didn't know it was Cassinaria, is that it looked a lot more like a Leptastrea than a Samacora, and they had limit listed as a Samacora. I'm like, dude, in what planet does that look like a Samacora? And I know right now the listeners with no visual aids are like, all right, that's that's too many coral names to throw out there. And uh, But once again, those Costanaria frags, there was three of them. They were $39.99 and marked down to 20 bucks. They're not shipping for a while, so I haven't ordered them yet. But you know what? I'm going to order all three of them. I'm going to put them in three different tanks, and I'm like – Pink and green area, legitimately rare. Um, yeah, I think those were the, the, the biggest scores from there. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you get a, get a look at the list first. But it was just, you know, just highlighting some, um, just some something from everyone. You know who I didn't list? It was freaking extreme corals, dude. Like, and you know, they're not the worst, but going to like, let's say it was about 30 or 40 vendors I went to, and I didn't find a good coral to share from each one of them. But the the quality of the coral images were all over the map. Like some people are totally given up and using like really orange filters and yeah. like, you know, a torch coral that should be like a really rich yellow bordering on maybe a hint of orange was like almost pink. 
almost solid pink. And you're like, dude, that is not what that coral looks like at all. And uh, another place, they were just like super dark. I'm like, would you buy corals from these pictures? And it was, it was just kind of interesting. Just, you know, uh, visited, like I said, 30 coral vendors. 20 of them I'd never visited before. I just typed in Google Life Coral for Sale. Go straight to the WYSIWYG because like I want to see what has actually been sold. Just go straight to the WYSIWYG. And uh, it was an um, interesting uh, tour, I'll say, because I wasn't looking for anything specific. I was just kind of yeah. looking for stuff that was maybe unrecognized or just undervalued or actually a really neat coral. Like there was this one Solomon Island Millie, uh, unique corals, um, nice orange with red polyps. It was, you know, 200 bucks, but it, it was it was it looked apart. You know what I mean? But if you scan a bunch of this stuff, like. Oh my goodness! There were there were some there were some deals to be had out there, and if you're looking for corals and looking for neat corals, or looking for deals, man, you got to cast a really wide net. That's where the reef shows really come in, because one guy grows the hell out of, let's just say, Cyphastria, and you know, for him, they're breeding like rabbits, and so he's selling them off. Basically, that's the price, and yeah. you know, another person is struggling to grow, you know, this or that coral. And they, you know, they'll price it really high. And so definitely a super pro tip when it comes to buying coral is do some random searches. Just do some random searches. Um, I, I do want to give a little shout out to Lucky Corals. I've kept an eye on their website for about the last year since I got a really nice rainbow pizza from them, which is looking better than it ever has, by the way. Um, uh, I don't know the name of the, the guy behind it, but he's got an eye for coral. Yeah. He really has an eye for coral. And I'll be looking through there and it'd be like, just, you know, nice um, branching bubble, nice uh, Australamuses with some cool colors, um, unique Cinerinas. You know, it's not just an avalanche of acanthophilias and crazy price trackies, you know. And so um, props to Lucky Corals for just having a little bit more of a curation on uh, the corals that they keep. I'd love to see your bookmarks because. I when I do stumble upon, you know, a little boutique coral vendor that had something interesting or cool, I add it to my little bookmarks folder and and you know, usually one night a week I'm bored sitting on the couch, family's watching a movie I'm not into and I'll just start clicking all the different vendors and seeing what kind of stuff they have. But I imagine your list is like 10 to 100 times longer than mine. <laughs> um but to your point, um, I mean, I've stumbled on people like that or vendors like that because I have Googled for a coral name, right? Uh, and then I, I find some random website that's selling it. Or it, it could even be out of stock, but then I'm like, oh, let me see what else they got. Um, mm -hmm. My my annoyance is um, I'll find stuff that I, I, I'm specifically looking for, let's say, five different things. And I won't find them all on one site. So it's five different vendors and it's not enough to qualify for free shipping because you're only buying that one coral. And so then you're like, man, I just spent how much in shipping across five <laughs> vendors you know, to get the five things I wanted? If you want the same thing that everybody else wants, it's basic economics, supply yeah. and demand. You know, you know what would be super cool to talk about? The, the plummeting price of tenuous acros and torches, right? It used to be you couldn't look at a tenuous frag 
for less than a few hundred dollars. I might have mentioned this when I was at TSA and I got three colonies of rainbow potential tenuous yeah. and they were uh, 150 to 250 for colonies you know a reasonable size multiple branches and you could see the potential they weren't totally browned out and you're seeing that now with the torches right they've been really uh turning the you know cranking the the farm factory in indonesia and harvesting just all these different colors okay yes if you want the new york knicks or something that has holy grail in the name you're still paying through the nose but it, like in my random search i found a guy who was selling um cristadas with like a little bit of yellow orange to the tentacle and they were like 250 for coralite i'm like dude that is not a torch coral and had them labeled as a torch coral and i'm like you you could probably if I if I pass laws relating to reef aquariums, like half of those people will go to jail <laughs> just for a straight line. But these you know totally barely colored toward you know, micro. I call them micro torches. You know, euphilia fimbriophilia cristata. Um, but if you look around, like you can find some really good deals on, on dragon souls on Indo golds. Um, I haven't seen too many Aussie golds lately. I haven't seen too many Aussie corals around much either. Um, but yeah, the, the, the price of torches is is coming down slowly because, you know, they're LPS, so they take a little bit longer to catch up. But when it, you know, when you take a one frag of tenuous and you plop it in the ocean, grow it into a mini colony in like six months, now you got like 50 branches to start brand new colonies. Yeah, it's a matter of time before um, we're all buying tenuous colonies. And I'm here for it. I am here for it because Tenuous is a is a tough acro. It's got great polyps, huge diversity. I'm just not paying stupid money for those frags. That's another thing I saw going through all these different vendors. Um, you know, I didn't really see too many Tenuous colonies yet, um, but there was a the Tenuous were just like crazy price per branch. You know, there were some goofy made up names over and over and over again. And then on the same page, there'd be like a fully encrusted mini colony of, uh, you know, just kind of smooth skin, kind of granulosa with a little bit of potential. And the frags were like 40 bucks. Like, why, why would I spend $300 on this tiny little thing that is going to stress me out when I could buy two or three of these other corals and hope that, you know, two of them really, really thrive? So we're starting to see, you know, the, the, uh, the suppliers catching up with the massive demand for the torches and the tenuous. And I'm just, I'm really excited about it because one, I'm, 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 I know <laughs> I'm going to keep pushing the needle for deep water acros. I don't care if the frags start costing crazy money because at the end of the day or at the end of five or 10 years, we're going to have this huge variety of smooth skinned acros. And I, I really hope that's the next trend. I really should show off more of mine to uh, help that along. But I keep talking about a reef therapy every chance I get. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that once the uh, the tenuous and torch craze dies out that you know something else rises in its place so we can just see this huge variety and this huge diversity of some other group of coral i'm excited about it well you know and i i'm a hypocrite because i'm wearing an acro t-shirt but i'm haven't really been i mean i i keep a couple of acros but i just haven't been oh i must have an sbs dominant tank it's just nah. um but um We've got such killer flow pumps now compared to back in the day. There, I used it again. We should start a drinking game when every number five. Every time we say it's back in the day, take a sip. Um, no, but um, 
man, you know, give me some of those reef crest acros, you know, uh, gems, humulus, like just big, chunky acros. Uh, but you don't really see those anymore. Right? I got them. I got them. I got the I rainbow. Do, I got the but... green. I got the digitifera, monticulosa. What I don't have is the corn cob style with the really fat tip. Yeah. I have a couple of colonies that have like the potential to show that off. Um, but if I blasted the tank like I want to, it would bleach the other acros. Right. So I recently got a whole suite of um, new Japanese spotlights, uh, the Vital Wave 2 by um, – I think it's, it's a collab between Ecolamps and Blue Harbor. And they have Bluetooth built in. So when I plug them into just like a regular socket, I'll be able to program them directly instead of having something else control them. But there's one um, that is really heavy on the 400 nanometer, 420 nanometer, and a touch of 450 to really bring out the blues. Oh my God, I IG Myron, um, he started, I don't know if it's still going, 1.023 World, um, but I've always kind of considered him like the Japanese Jake Adams, really like diving deep into spectrum he's been involved with the design of a lot of these ecolamps lights and he's just such a nerd and i sent him some pictures of some of my blue acros and he was giving me a little slack he's all like oh that is blue chromoprotein but if you add more 400 420 nanometer with this light you'll get more blue fluorescent protein and i'm like Okay, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they're, awesome. they're blue as they're blue as blue can be. But he was basically just throwing a little shade on the Radeon G4 for not having enough 400 to 430, uh, uh, you know, near UV light to bring out the blue f fluorescent protein. And I know that I have both, but it got me thinking. Like, all right, challenge accepted. I'm gonna take one of those. Vital Wave 2s with the, just that and just plop it right over one of my Humulus Acros, which is like right under the outflow of the um, uh, the closed loop pump with the clover nozzle, just crazy flow. Let me just say, man, I've been, I've, you know, we, we really cleaned up the tanks leading up to reef stock and um, I'm dialing in my nitrate dosing on the main system more and adding a certain thing, a trace, and I got Acro Power dosing. Oh my God, my corals have just never looked better right now. Yeah, the you only sent corals me that, that picture. I'm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so nice. I'm actually I feel a little bit bad because your frag of Hoaxamai is not in that tank. It's another kind of I call it the highlight tank, but the acro system I call the very highlight tank. And so it looks good, but it's nothing like what the Hoaxamai is doing uh, in the main acro system, just exploding in tips and. Um, I don't know. It's kind of turned a corner in that system where it just um, just really tuning things up just right. Meanwhile, my red seed tank is too clean and I've been pounding it with food and all of a sudden I'm hitting it with nitrates because my Suharsanoi and my Carduus and a few of the dragons, they're just they're a little too pale for the light and the corals around them. You know, all the Montes are fine. The highlight macros are fine, but the deep waters are just like... Uh, they're missing something. They just need a little, little extra oomph. So, but yeah, most of the most of the corals are just doing so freaking good, man. I'm trying to. It, it's actually a time consuming to sit down and enjoy them all. Think, <laughs> if that you know, makes sense. I, I think that's probably. I, I, this is a more of a uh, aha moment, but I got tired of SPS. Um, for a while there. I mean, it was, I don't know. I just, they were cool, but I just, uh, I got over it for a bit, but 
I wonder if part of that is just my interaction with the reef keeping world is everything online, right? Mostly. And uh, to your point, the, the SPS zone kind of went into a niche, right? With, especially with tenuous and those kind of corals. And I remember when I visited you and the studio and all of a sudden I saw these old familiar faces of, you know, Acropora gemifera, um, humulus, humulus, stags, you know, like really big stags. And, and I left that day. I I told you, I was like, crap, now I'm going to have this urge to set up an SPS tank again. And I mean, I just did a search for gemifera I'm on page three of Google and it's all scientific articles. There's not anything yeah. for sale. And it's just a bummer. Well, and so I think I, got, I have a couple um, really cool strains of, I think they're humulus and not fully grown out, but battle corals, Adam over there, they, he he's them? got some cool strain and there's a blue one that's actually grown pretty well for me. And there's a rainbowy one, you know, it's not rainbow, but it's got hints of blue and green and red, a little bit of red. And that one hasn't grown nearly as fast as the blue. They came in at the exact same size. The blue has already graduated to its own little mini tile and it's out with the, the colonies. Whereas the rainbowy one is uh, uh, still sitting there kind of looking at me, but I think the uh, those some of those corals they deserve to go from the highlight to the very highlight tank. Yeah, there was um, right when the bulletin board when the forums started to take shape, uh, but you still had like bulletin boards. I remember seeing a picture of a guy's 180. He had a pale blue background, um, and he had two Carlson surge devices on opposite ends of the tank, and the tank was lit mm -hmm. with just Iwasaki's right. And he just had those up. reef crest, just dense acros in every color. And I remember what in my, how old was I? Probably uh, 20 or something. I was blown away by that picture, you know, and I have to admit the fluorescent acro tanks that I see now that are all tightly grown, small branch, you know, type of stuff. This doesn't do it for me. I don't it's know. It's not the inspiration. I will, if a blue tip brown staghorn was the last coral I got to grow, if it was the last coral on earth, yeah. I'd, I'd be so happy with that. I'd be, well, satisfied. <laughs> I'd be yeah. satisfied with that, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of fun. And um, we never mastered those corals, right? So we're all uh, yeah. challenging ourselves and we all are looking for the next thing to figure out. Um I don't know about you. I I struggled, but I mean, I was dealing with shitty pumps, but Maxa jets back in the day and everything else. But um, doing a good job with like a humulus or a gemifera, like that's a different ball game. Like I'll t I'll take the tenuous yeah, challenge totally. over that any day, you know. Um, so yeah, well, this I is mean, a perfect segue in, into the next two tanks that I want to do. Um, I'll get the easy one out of the way first. I, re I figured out that my next nano reef concept, I want to do like a five to 10 gallon tank, totally stock, black sand, and as many walking dendros as I can get my hands on <laughs> and like cool. virtually nothing else. So if anybody listening re or watching right now, if you know of a good source for some heterosamia um, or heterocochlea, walking dendros you hit me up because i think that would be super duper cool i got a um, an actual dendro at reef stock and i found a perfect spot for it um next to my ball tentacle anemone in the anemone system in the sump 
but it's right near the front glass. So it's got, it gets ambient light, no direct light. And it's kind of hanging off the, it's like, you know, on the side, I kind of magnetized it and put it around one of the baffles with another core on the other side. And it's just fuzzy all the time. Nothing can sting it. Yeah, I can feed it all the food I want and what it doesn't eat kind of blows into the ball tentacle. And then what that doesn't eat, I literally push it into the pump to feed all the anemones and my overflow coral tank, which is full now. I got room for like three or four more corals. I'm like using magnets to put stuff on the back. I'm like, oh God, I got to get rid of, you know, some of these extra frags. But um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but the 400 gallon tank is flowing. Yeah. 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 So I'm using a 60 breeder. Um, it's flowing. I got it rocked up. I actually, uh, love the way it looks. I think I mentioned it looks goofy. Um, I got a, a biz. Oh, that's right. AFC we talked about Aquascape. Yeah. Yeah, I got the Abyss 150 right before reef stock, and I'm oh my goodness, I'm not. I might have to give that back. Like it is, there's a lot of power for that tank, and that will be the first time in my career where I'm like, this is too much horsepower. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an amazing machine, and uh, I'll cry if I come to that conclusion. But that is my challenge between now and the next 11 and a half months. Is I have all the corals. I have the gemiferas, I have big torts, I have, you know, a few plating acros, a semi-plating acro, the hoaxamai, all these staghorns. Um, so my my challenge now is like, I have no problem putting them in the tank and, and growing them, but it's going to be a real, oh God, an exercise of patience because I want to pass them through a quarantine tank. I don't know if I've already mentioned this, but I'm going to put a 60 breeder or a 60 cube in line with the system. I'm going to feed all the water through UV sterilizer. So a real slow rate. So anything potentially coming from the system will be zapped, cut off all the bases um, and just dip and observe, dip and observe. Not They don't have any pests. They don't have any parasites. I just want to make sure I'm going to just go to a pathological degree of really exterminating any potential for sponges because mm -hmm. a 400-gallon tank, man, I don't want to get in there and like deal with any sponges. Sponges are cool, but they're a problem with my source water. And I don't want to ever see Valonia, Bryopsis, uh, Aptasia. Like, I, I promise you, there will never be an imaginary piece of Aptasia DNA in that tank. Like, it's going to be a little stressful for about a year being very diligent about what I put in that tank. So, I have all the corals. I'm going to create that reef apex balmy crest scene, you know? Yes. And um, it's going to be fun. But what I'm really excited about is, uh, you know, coming out to Atlanta here in a couple of weeks. Um, so Raj, if you're listening, he's not. He's not listening. He's, he's too busy. But he's going to uh, show me a couple things. And um, that's when I'll be able to talk to him about a, a nice custom set. But I already got the calcium reactor. I already got the return pump. I already got the protein skimmer. Um, the lights will be easy. Like I said, I'm probably going to build one side at a time. So it's uh, it's, it's eight foot tanks got two braces so i'll build the two and a half feet with the staghorns first and then the other two and a half feet in the middle with the tables and stuff and then all the digitate and corimbose uh, corals on the left side last um so so yeah hopefully i can uh, i can create that inspiration for really growing the corals to the size where you can really appreciate more than just the color and the branch but the overall colony shape that's going to be my that's going to be my masterpiece, actually. <laughs> it's going to be my masterpiece for a while, besides the entire studio. But uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be fun.
That sounds daunting. good, man. That's but, uh, and yeah. I'm hoping to come out there in June. Uh, or I said yes, hoping. Sir. I already bought the damn ticket, so I will be out in June. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I'd love to see where you're at with that. It'd be kind of fun. I'm sure it'll still be a work in progress. So I'll but... see you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and then you'll see me in a couple months, and then maybe you'll go to Macna in Wisconsin. Maybe. Is that in the cards? Um, and then you'll come out for reef stock in February. So, so yeah, it won't be no stranger. We got to do, no, some, we'll do some, do some fun, uh, live recordings, but I hope, uh, you know, the listeners have really enjoyed this, uh, slow boil of reef <laughs> therapy. You know, I think we uh, covered a whole bunch of topics. I want to thank everybody who's actually supported the reef builder channel. We just cracked a yeah. hundred thousand subscribers. I, Cheers to that. You know, it is a point of, yeah, yeah, cheers to that. It is a point of pride, but it's never, that was never my goal. My goal was always to create good, fun, engaging content, the likes of which I would enjoy consuming. And that's exactly the goal of Mark and I is just sharing some ideas, you know, uh, broadening the conversation and uh, really giving you guys some, some, some meat and some bones to chew on um, as you're working or playing or thinking about your reef tank and, um, well, thank everybody for supporting the Reef Therapy uh, side of our content media stream. So if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast podcatcher, make sure to like and review us, review us, rate us. I think that's how you do it. And then on YouTube, you know, let us know what you guys think of uh, this session. Um, definitely want to know how people are doing with the fish. Um, if anybody knows where, you know, where some oddball corals are, some walking dendros, um, hit us up in the comments. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. Yeah, I think we, uh, man, uh, I don't know how long we went on this one. We probably went away. I, I, I was worried this would be short because I felt like the bullet points that I thought were worth discussing were all relatively short. And here we go again, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, we can freestyle like no other. But uh, thanks a lot for uh, another great session of Reef Therapy, Mark. And uh, I'll see you next week. And then in two weeks, we'll uh, sit down and talk about your tech. Sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to hosting you. All right. Be good. Later, everyone.